You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Happy Friday to you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I certainly did. And uh, it's now Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and it's the last time we're going to have a chance to talk before the Bills face the Los Angeles Chargers, the first game coming out of the bye. Six left to go in this regular season. Time to ramp it up, take care of business, win this division, and host a playoff game. The next challenge is the Los Angeles Chargers. So we're going to close out the week here as we prep for this game. I have some leftover thoughts to share with you to kick things off. We'll talk to banged up Bills here in just a few minutes about the Bills injury situation entering the game on Sunday. And then the last segment will be our NFL draft prospects to watch. And of course, my predictions for the game. I want to start by talking about Isaiah Hodgins, the Bills rookie wide receiver out of Oregon State. A lot of people were pretty excited about this guy and uh, what he can bring to this offense in terms of size and ball skills and maybe that big slot type player. And then, you know, look, he was put on injured reserve right before the start of the season, and we haven't seen anything from him. But the Bills have now designated him to return from injured reserve. So what does that mean? Well, they have three weeks to activate him or he's out for the year. But they do have a three-week stretch here that he gets to practice and be part of what's going on with the team. And what I think it really comes down to is this is kind of an evaluation period for the Bills to get a look at Isaiah Hodgins, if nothing else, to give him three weeks of practice before they shut him down for the rest of the year. The reality of the situation is I think he has a very uphill climb to actually get on this roster because you have the six guys that they've had on the roster all year, plus Two pretty doggone good players on the practice squad in Jake Kumaro and Duke Williams. So for me to believe that he's going to unseat somebody above him, whether it's one of the six rostered guys or the two on the practice squad, I kind of find that hard to believe. I think this is about giving him three weeks of practice time before he shuts it down and uh, gives it a go for the 2021 season and see what happens under different circumstances. So I think this is about giving him three weeks to practice if something happens, right, somebody gets injured and you need a receiver and you you, you have to elevate a guy or you, you want to just put Hodgins on the active roster, you can do that and have a look at Hodgins. But I don't think I have much faith that he's actually going to be on the roster at any point this season. The next thing I want to talk about is this Mitch Morse thing. Coach McDermott, after the Cardinals game, was asked about Morse and him not starting in that game despite him being cleared to play. And Coach McDermott said, look, we had some momentum with the previous group, and they kept Feliciano at center, Brian Winters at right guard, and Ike Bakker at left guard. And so winds up being the group that plays against Arizona, and um, the Bills lose that football game and for a number of reasons, and I think one of them was that they weren't able to run the ball with the type of consistent success against an Arizona Cardinals defense that – had struggled to stop the run all year. So it was disappointing. Kind of whenever the the lineup initially came out and you saw that Mitch Morse wasn't playing, I started to think, well, 
maybe this is just about giving him some more time to come back from that concussion. Despite him being active for game day, the fact that he was coming off of his fifth documented concussion, maybe you just think, well, give him a little bit more time. We got the bye week coming up. These these middle three have been okay the last few weeks, and we'll get him back in the lineup after the bye. But when Coach McDermott was asked about it this week, coming out of the bye, he said, we'll see. He's in the mix. We feel good about a number of the guys up front who are getting healthier now, finally. It's been a while since we've had a consistent lineup, so we've got some guys and then some options available to us, Mitch being one. I'm confused, folks. Mitch Morris is one of the best 10 centers in the game, for sure. How do you not have a path to him being one of your starters? How is he not the obvious starting center? With Feliciano at right guard, and really, who cares about left guard? If Cody Ford's healthy, roll him out there. Ike Bakker, sure. Brian Winters, whatever. But how do you not roll with Mitch Morse at center? I have no idea. It's inexplicable to me. I'm I'm a little nervous. I think that's where I'm at right now. I'm nervous about McDermott's comments because I thought he was entrenched as the, as the starting center. Now, I'm going to go into panic mode if – we see this offense take the field against the Chargers and Mitch Morse isn't on, on the field. That's when I'm going to really push the panic button. And I'll have all kinds of questions about this team's ability to evaluate interior offensive linemen. So we'll see. Obviously, the game will be played. But I'm going to have some questions if this interior offensive line doesn't perform well and we look at Mitch Morse being really actually benched. We look at Quentin Spain being shown the door. We look at what's happening with Wyatt Teller in Cleveland with the Browns becoming one of the best guards in the game. And the Bills packaged him and sent him away, which at the time seemed like a really good move. And I, I don't think it's fair to come back and critique that move with the benefit of hindsight because knowing what we knew then, we thought it was a good deal for the Bills. But they're the ones that are around these players, evaluating them every day, should have some type of an understanding of what they could develop into. All we knew was that Wyatt Teller was probably going to get cut, and the Bills were able to get a couple of mid-round draft picks back in exchange for him. And we thought, wow, great deal. But Wyatt Teller is a stud. So if you look at a very small sample size of Mitch Morse being benched, Quentin Spain being shown the door, and goofing this Wyatt Teller trade, I have no other choice but to have some questions about this team's ability to evaluate interior offensive linemen. Again, right now, consider me nervous. If Mitch Morse is benched and that interior offensive line struggles against the Chargers, we're going to have something to talk about on Monday. So just like McDermott says we'll see when it comes to Mitch Morse being the starting center this week, we'll see when it comes to this team's ability to evaluate into your offensive line play. One more item to get to here. The Bills' protected practice squad players this week are wide receiver Jake Kumaro, offensive lineman Jordan Devy, offensive lineman Jonathan Harrison, and linebacker Darren Lee. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league. 
the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. I'm joined now by Kyle Trimble, doctor of physical therapy. He runs banged up bills, and he is back like he is every Friday to get us up to speed on the Bills injury situation entering the game. And we got on this conversation. And before we really even exchanged pleasantries, you said, Joe, I can't believe that there's some names that are still on this list. And so I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's going to be the first question I ask you for our discussion on the podcast. And so now here's your chance to answer that. So looking at the list, it's obviously shorter than it was in past weeks, which when I saw this, I'm thinking, Thank God. That's less work for me and more things we can tackle other than looking at 50 names on the list. I question why Josh Norman is on the list because he has been removed off the COVID list. He is practicing in full. I haven't seen them do that in the past. I could be wrong with that, but I'm not sure why he's on there. It might just be covering their butt with things. Dawson Knox, he shows up with a hamstring. I don't recall him hurting the hamstring in the game, but usually when you guys have practicing in full they usually don't pop up unless for some reason they're really limited and they have to report it uh same thing with taiwan jones we know that he had the hamstring injury he missed two games but seeing practice in full indicates that they might still be worried that he could potentially re-injure the the area so those are some of the names i'm surprised uh, more so with Knox, just because we didn't see anything at least from what i saw in the game and um that's really the only one that I'm really surprised with. Uh, Jerry Hughes with a back, but he's been dealing with the foot, back, other stuff throughout the season that I acknowledge I don't worry about unless he's a do not participate for multiple days. One quick note here as we continue this discussion. Kyle and I are recording on Wednesday. We normally do on Thursday. Uh, so uh, this week, obviously, with Thanksgiving, we're doing it a little bit early. So we don't have the Thursday report that we're reflecting on. This is the Wednesday infor- in, uh, the Wednesday information. Let's talk about John Brown. Wide receiver did not participate on Wednesday with an ankle. I think that was the name that was disappointing to me. Actually, everybody either practiced either limited or full. Uh, Mario Addison was a veteran rest day. And then John Brown is your only DNP participant with this ankle. Remember, it happened on the the third and long conversion that was negated due to a penalty against Arizona. But I was hopeful that we come out of this bye with a healthy smoke. Doesn't look like that's the case. Hey, you know, he could still be battling back from things. He's been just constantly dealing with stuff. He's had the foot. He's had the, the left knee. He's now dealing with the ankle. I thought originally it was a knee when he came down, but on replay, you could see where the ankle buckles in. Fortunately, it looked like a medial eversion sprain comparative to a high ankle or a MCL, which would definitely kept him out. I believe at this point, he's an older player. They just want to rest him. He's been doing a lot of that on uh, Wednesdays. We saw yesterday from the reports, because they did practice Tuesday because they're not practicing Thursday, is the fact that he didn't practice either. So I think they're just saving him from games at this point. The reason why I think that he's going to be okay to play on Sunday is because I had a uh, follower on uh, Twitter. Her name's Stacy. She reached out to me and said, hey, check out uh, Instagram. And there's a Dr. Uh, Reef who I've 
become familiar with, at least following some of his work, but he goes around and trains the athletes and has some of the different crazy videos we've seen with the different dynamic exercises. But they have John Brown on his right ankle, which he injured on a BOSU ball, which is a half of an exercise ball, uh, balancing uh, upside down on it, working around a medicine ball around the uh, BOSU ball. So like this is high-level balance stuff, and on top of it, the guy is just tapping the ball to really throw him off his base. So he's working on the ankle. He's shown good stability through it. He's doing a lot of dynamic things to the ankle to get stronger. So is he still limited? Is he still dealing with the healing process? Absolutely. But when he's doing that dynamic things to rehab it and get stronger and get better, that tells me that he's going to be able to potentially play on Sunday. Now, if he doesn't, well, that's a great magic trick they just did, but I anticipate that he's going to be good to go. And it's just more of a veteran rest thing because this point in the season, I don't think these guys need to go over a ton of plays or, or being conditioned. It's now let's make sure you're healthy enough to get out there and execute the plays in the game book rather than go through the actual reps because it's now week 12 going into this. Let's, let you clean up anything left on your radar to talk about. I know Isaiah Hodgins, uh, the Bills rookie receiver, has been um, given the opportunity to practice here coming off of the, the injured reserve. And then uh, the unfortunate news with Tommy Sweeney and the heart condition. So anything else you want to get cleaned up here before we let you go? Uh, well, I'll definitely address those two things. I also want to mention that AJ Epinesa did shed the non uh Red non-contact jersey, he has been cleared from the concussion protocol, which is really good to see. He didn't miss any games. But then uh, going into Isaiah Hodgins, right now I'm not reading too much into it. I thought he had suffered a rotator cuff injury. Uh, There's a possibility of a labral injury. He was wearing a brace uh, back in training camp, and he did make the 53-man roster. Then they moved him to injured reserve. So this is the reason why he is able to be designated for return. So he has never appeared on a you know regular season roster um, outside of the initial 53. I think right now they're just activating him in the case that somebody does get injured, that they have that practice window open, they can activate him a little bit faster rather than waiting to say, hey, we have an injury, and then we have to activate you and get you up to speed. And right now, I believe that they're also just activating him just to get him into the flow of things. I mean, I know he had his baby, which I'm sure his – been affecting his availability of processing everything uh, if anybody's ever had a child uh, with a lot of sleepless nights but then also too just getting him up into the speed of this is what the NFL practice is like we want to get you working in the offense for next year because I don't see a need to bring him back unless there's an injury and even then we've talked about this before we have Duke Williams we have Jake Kumaro we have other guys that we can bring up that have been practicing with the team the entire time rather than bring up this rookie that hasn't been seen any time so don't read too much into it, but it might just be a uh, um, a way to get the team, get him involved legally without having to activate a roster spot for him. And then uh, Tommy Sweeney, this guy's been, he's had a rough year. Him and Dawson Knox, man, it's been just rough for Sweeney, though. He suffers a foot injury back in, I think it was July, because that's when we first saw that he was in a boot or there's reports of a boot. He's on pup the entire year because of this foot injury, which I thought was potentially a stress fracture. There's a chance he can come back at week 11, be activated off a of pup and start practicing. He gets on the COVID list, and now he's ruled out for the season of myocarditis. So what myocarditis is, it's an inflammation of the heart muscle itself there. So normally inflammation of a muscle isn't really too concerning. But once a heart muscle, that's where it starts to become 
more concerning is because the heart muscle, it does have the ability to regenerate somewhat after injury, but it's not like skeletal muscle where we see it scar down and, and regain its function. Once you damage the heart muscle, it either comes back very slowly or doesn't at all. That's why we see when there's heart attacks and like heart failure, just the quality of the muscle just decreases and its avail ability to pump the blood more effectively. So I'm not saying that there's, damage to the heart muscle right now. I'm just saying there's inflammation, which they don't want to make, make it so that he keeps working out and make everything worse that he's going to have permanent damage. So this is more of a precautionary measure from what I'm reading that, Hey, he's having the inflammation. Let's shut things down in there before things get worse. And let's make sure he can heal up properly. This is something seen with other viruses. So it is seen with COVID, but it's not exclusively to COVID. So we've seen this with bacteria. We've seen this with fungi. We've seen this with viruses. So it's just an unfortunate side effect of some of those conditions. But the team's doing right by him saying, let's shut you down. I'm glad the cardiologist caught this rather than him trying to return and suffering further you know, potential damage uh, down the line. So, you know, the hope is that he's going to come back for 2021 healthy and he can get past all this stuff and, you know, justify his spot on an NFL roster in 2021. Well, I love talking to you, man. There's no way I could deliver the insight that you just did on that Tommy Sweeney situation, obviously the insight on John Brown. Every week, man, you bring it. I really, really appreciate it. He's Kyle Trimble, Dr. Physical Therapy. Follow him on Twitter at BangedUpBills. The website is bangeduppills.com. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and I always appreciate your time, Kyle. Thank you, Joe, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody in Bills Mafia. Let's talk about some NFL draft prospects for you guys to pay attention to on Saturday as you watch college football with an eye towards the NFL draft and more specifically an eye towards players that fit the Buffalo Bills that I think could be reasonable targets for them. And you guys can get your eyes on them this weekend. So let's start off like I've been doing. I like to give you one player in each time slot. So we'll have a 12 p.m. player, a 3.30 player, and a 7 o'clock player. At 12 o'clock Eastern time on the ACC network, you can watch North Carolina State play Syracuse. The attraction here is Wolfpack defensive tackle Aleem McNeil. He's six foot two, 320 pounds. He wears number 29. You won't be able to miss him. He jumps off the tape. He's one of those guys that plays with insane effort. Every single snap, he brings it. And that's what really jumped out to me when watching McNeil over the summer and getting ready for this season. Then, of course, it continues on this year. He just plays the game with a lot of energy, and he brings a lot of juice to the table, and I really appreciate that. 320 pounds, and this guy is actually a freak. He was on Bruce Feldman's college football freaks list uh, because of his strength. Uh, so in the weight room, he benches 445 pounds, squats 640. He has a vertical leap of 32 inches, and he's projected to run a 40-yard dash in the 4-9 second range at the NFL Scouting Combine. So this guy is powerful and explosive. And he plays nose tackle for NC State. I think he could play one tech for the Buffalo Bills. And so when you think about having some depth next year behind Starla Tulele, because right now we know the Bills don't really have anybody in that role uh, that makes sense. So you get Star back next year, but he's going to need a guy behind him that can, can play some snaps. And McNeil gives you that, that physicality, that stout anchor against the run, but I think he's got some juice 
as a pass rusher as well. In fact, he comes to NC State after a high school career where he played inside linebacker and goal line running back. I think he had over 40 rushing touchdowns and obviously gobs of tackles at linebacker. So he's still kind of new to playing defensive tackle, and you can see that a little bit with his processing skills and just getting a little bit more comfortable with technique and shedding blocks. But he gives you some really quality physical traits, some energy, some power at the point, and I think he'd be a a one-tech that the Bills should – uh, have their eye on when it comes to maybe making a pick in the third or a fourth round range. So Aleem McNeil, 12 o'clock, ACC Network, uh, NC State defensive tackle, 6'2", 320 pounds, he wears number 29. At 3.30 on CBS, you got to watch the Iron Bowl, Auburn versus Alabama. Tons of NFL talent in that game, but the one that jumps out to me from a Bills perspective is Alabama left tackle Alex Leatherwood. Six foot six, 312 pounds. He wears jersey number 70. He plays left tackle for Alabama. I think he's probably going to be best served to play guard in the NFL. He's got time at guard. Uh, his first couple seasons at Alabama, he played guard, and then the last two, he's played left tackle. So uh, I'm thinking guard possibility here, or maybe right tackle. So there's position flexibility. That's exciting. We like that. But he's a physical, powerful dude. And I think from a a prototype perspective from what we've learned about the Bills and, and the offensive linemen that they like to bring in. They like long, physical guys that bring an edge to it. And I think you'll see that in Leatherwood, uh, a very uh, enthusiastic guy when it comes to working into contact and running his feet and moving bodies at the line of scrimmage. But, you know, he's got a stout anchor and he doesn't want to get guys, allow guys to, to compromise the width of the pocket that he's responsible for setting. So, he gives you that length and power and enough mobility there. So I think he 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 makes sense from what we know about the way the Bills value offensive linemen and the traits that they bring, but you know, also that position flexibility and that um, you know, he's he's a guy that has a, a nice resume of consistency in the SEC. So I think if the Bills were to be in need of uh, an offensive lineman in the second round, you know, if they're unable to bring back Daryl Williams and John Feliciano, they're gonna need Offensive line help, Leatherwood's, uh, pro, you know, the way he slapped together and, and uh, his position flexibility makes him a very logical target. At 7 o'clock, turn on ESPN, LSU versus Texas A&M. The, the attraction here from the Bills' perspective is linebacker Jabril Cox, 6'4", 231 pounds. He wears number 19. Uh, it's his first year at LSU. He leveled up. He's been a very, very, very productive player Uh, at the FCS level for North Dakota State. I mean, just splash play after splash play at um, North Dakota State, uh, Conference Defensive Player of the Year, I think the last two years there. And he transferred to LSU this year so he can play against bigger competition and prove himself. And I think he's playing okay. Um, LSU's defense is really down versus the unit we saw last year. I mean, I think only like two or three guys really even back from that defense. So a ton of new pieces, a new coordinator. So they're not the same really good talented defenses they were that they were last year, but Cox is a player. He's he's got great size like I told you, 6'4", 231 pounds, but he's really loose and fluid and springy. At at North Dakota State, they would play him, you know, kind of as a big nickel, a big slot in the overhang role. Uh they let him play in man coverage against tight ends and 
and, and even bigger slot receivers carrying them down the field one v one. I mean, he's got the type of uh, you know loose hips and, and foot fire to to carry those guys. But you know, you see the range and ability to get sideline to sideline. Um, so if the Bills were looking for a pursuit style linebacker uh, to complement what they have or replace Matt Milano, Jabril Cox, second round type player uh, that you guys can get your eyes on, uh, seven o'clock ESPN LSU versus Texas A&M again. Jabril Cox, six four two thirty one, number nineteen. All right, it's time for predictions. What I think is going to happen in this Bills game against the Chargers. I've got five of them for you. Number one, the Bills will average four and a half yards per carry running the football. And uh, that's a half a yard better than they normally do. They average four yards per carry so far this year. I think they can average four and a half, half, if not more, against the Chargers. Uh, L.A. so far this year has given up 4.6 yards per carry. That's sixth worst in the NFL. So, we want to buy into this run game coming out of the bye, that uh, the interior offensive line will be better, that any scheme issues and self-scouting things that Brian Dable's been able to identify will get better, and hopefully that leads to more production from Zach Moss and, and Devin Singletary. So I think you'll see an efficient Bills rushing attack, and we will measure that by averaging at least 4.5 yards per carry against the Chargers. Number two, I think that a tight end will catch a touchdown pass for the Bills in this game. The Chargers have given up eight passing touchdowns so far this year, two tight ends, and the fifth most fantasy points per game, two tight ends. So whether it's Tyler Croft or Reggie Gilliam or even Dawson Knox, one of them is going to catch a touchdown pass on Sunday. Number three, I think this defense gets four sacks of Justin Herbert. The uh, Chargers have not allowed Herbert to get sacked more than three times in any game so far this year, uh, I think that the Bills' pass rush has some really nice advantages over the left side of that offensive line in Sam Tevy and Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney at center and even Brian Balaga, who's kind of banged up right now at right tackle. I think there's going to be some opportunities to get home, and I think that the Bills will sack Herbert more than any other team has been able to do it this year, Give me at least four sacks for the Bills' defense on Sunday. Number four, I predict that Justin Herbert will not have 300 yards passing. He will have under 300 yards. So far this year, nine starts, his first nine starts in the NFL, he's averaging 300 passing yards per game. He's eclipsed 300 passing yards in five of his nine starts. I don't think he gets there against this Bills football team. This secondary is healthy, right? I mean, everyone's healthy. Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, Taron Johnson, Trey White, the two safeties, the backups, Dean Marlowe, you know, all the guys that the Bills want on the back end in terms of the secondary are available. They should be healthy. They should be locked in. They're smart football players. They've been elite at stopping the pass before. And I think this is a game where the disguise components of what the Bills are typically able to do with their guys when healthy will show up. And I don't think Justin Herbert's going to dice up the Bills secondary like he has other secondaries this year. So, Justin Herbert does not get 300 yards on Sunday. Number five, do I think the Bills will win? Damn right I do. I think this is this is the first game and what I'm really hoping is this statement stretch of games leading into the postseason where the Bills put that damn flag in the ground and say, this is our division, we're running away with it, and it starts by winning this football game against the Chargers, taking it one game at a time, beating some big-time 
teams on big stages. They'll have that chance coming up here against the Steelers, even on the road Monday night against the 49ers. You're going to be playing primetime against New England. Everyone's going to be watching the Broncos game on a Saturday, and then you've got the Dolphins in Week 17 at your place in a game that uh, could have some massive implications for at least one of the teams. So I think you have a well-coached Bills football team with a dynamic quarterback that is ready to make a statement, and that starts by coming out of the bye and, and beating a team that's coming across the country. That's They're coming in on, on Friday. They're, they're doing all kinds of weird things to get their body ready to play this game at 1 o'clock, and you've been resting up and getting yourselves right to go on a run. Now go beat the Chargers. I think the Bills will do it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on this podcast for this week on the podcast. I'm so grateful for your listenership and taking the time to push play and listen to me ramble about the football team that I love for however long. Sometimes it's 30, 35 minutes. Uh, our uh, herd mentality pods can push some push some longer time together, but uh, I love every second of it. And I really, really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. As always, I do kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review. Watch all the football you can this weekend. Enjoy it. Looking forward to a victory Monday. And uh, until then, thanks so much for listening.